So if you've been listening to the podcast for a while or following on social media, this will probably be old news. But if you're new here, the reason I started specializing in PCOS is because I was seeing so many women coming to me struggling to get pregnant with PCOS who just really weren't getting any answers from their conventional doctors. Many of them were just learning about their PCOS diagnosis after a year plus of struggling to get pregnant, while others, maybe they knew they had PCOS as a teenager, but they were told, oh, you know, don't worry about it. Take the pill. You know, we'll worry about it when it's time to get pregnant, which of course they learned was really terrible advice. So really a lot of what I do is focused on helping women have regular periods so they can get pregnant naturally. But as you know, if you've worked with me one-on-one or in the PCOS pregnancy protocol, I always say the goal is not just to get pregnant. My goal when working with all of my clients and here included is really to educate them so they really understand what's going on with their body and give them the tools they need to not only get pregnant, but have a healthy pregnancy, a seamless postpartum recovery, and really thrive during motherhood with their newborn. And that brings me to today's topic, which is how to navigate a healthy pregnancy with PCOS. And really, this is going to be helpful information to have for any woman who is pregnant or thinking about becoming pregnant with or without PCOS. During this episode, you may listen and think, well, surely my OB is testing for this or my OB has got it. They're keeping an eye on this. And sadly, that really is not often the case. And that's why it's really important to have this information so you can advocate for yourself and know what questions to ask when you are at the doctor's office and you know you have those three to five minutes with them that you get. I'm going to be sharing three of the most important things to think about when you are pregnant with PCOS. But first, I want to talk about really just some foundational supplements that are needed for all women who are pregnant. Hopefully, if you are pregnant, you're already taking these. Your OB has already talked to you about them. But if not, number one is a high-quality prenatal. This should be no surprise. And really, it is never too early to start taking a prenatal. I often get asked that, okay, I'm, I'm thinking about getting pregnant or thinking about trying to get pregnant in June. Should I start a prenatal in May or should I wait until I'm pregnant? Really, if you are actively trying to conceive, you need to be on a prenatal. It's actually recommended that any woman who is not on birth control is on a prenatal just in case. And especially if you've been on the pill for years, I would recommend trying to start a prenatal at least six to 12 months before trying to conceive so you can replenish those nutrients that are often depleted by the pill. I know the prenatals out there, a lot of them are horse pills and some of them require you to take like eight a day, which is insane. Typically the one I recommend to my clients, you're taking three a day, which is pretty doable. I know swallowing pills is not for everyone, There are powdered options out there for you. Specifically, I just discovered a powdered prenatal from the company Needed, which is looks pretty good. Um, But talk to your doctor about which prenatal is right for you, but you definitely should be on one ideally before you get pregnant, but absolutely when you are pregnant, you need one. You also want to make sure you're getting enough choline. So choline is a nutrient that is really important for brain development and helps prevent against neural tube defects in babies. Some prenatals have choline. A lot of them don't. 
but most don't have enough choline. So you need 450 milligrams of choline daily during pregnancy. So if you're taking a prenatal and you're assuming it's got everything you need, don't assume, look at the label, see if it has choline. Don't be surprised if it doesn't. That doesn't necessarily make it a bad prenatal. It could have everything else right and just no choline, and that's okay. You're just going to take another choline supplement. Usually it's a a pretty small pill. It's not too difficult. Choline's not super expensive. Now, eggs are a great food source of choline. One large egg has 147 milligrams of choline. I don't know if I necessarily would recommend eating four eggs a day during pregnancy to get all your choline, but you can kind of look and say like, okay, maybe my prenatal has – 300 milligrams of choline, and I know I have two eggs every morning, that's going to take care of my choline. In that case, that you would be balanced out. So prenatal, really important. Choline is important to consider. And then lastly, you want to be taking 400 micrograms of folic acid daily. Most women will want methylfolate, which is a form of folate that is easier to absorb especially if you have a history of miscarriages. So this is something you also want to make sure is in your prenatal. And if not, you can take that as an additional supplement. But those are three like bottom barrel need to have them, you know, supplements that are 100% required for healthy pregnancy. You do not want to overlook them. Um, You know, just some ideas to speak with your OB about if you are not already taking them, you don't need to panic but I would, you know, definitely discuss it with them at your next visit. And of course, work with them to discuss the dosing. Don't just, you know, buy supplements randomly and start taking them without really helping, um, having someone help guide you through that. All right. Now let's get into some PCOS specific things we need to think about in pregnancy. When compared to other women, women with PCOS have a three times higher risk of miscarriage during the first trimester. But the things that we are going to be discussing in this episode can help to reduce your risk. And interestingly enough, women who are treated with ovulation drugs like Clomid are actually more likely to miscarry than women who ovulate regularly. And this is important And really supports my point that just getting pregnant should not be the goal. Because yes, you may be able to trigger ovulation by taking a drug, but if you are not doing any other work to get your PCOS under control, you are still going to be at risk of not having a full-term healthy pregnancy. You are also going to feel much worse going through pregnancy and postpartum if your PCOS is unmanaged. I'll have clients who first start working with me who are on their fourth, fifth, sixth round of Clomid, and they'll ask if it's okay to keep taking it while we work together. And of course, you know, ultimately the decision is always there. I will always support whatever they feel is best for them. But I do let them know that, you know, if they can give me just a couple months of working together, they likely won't need Clomid. And their body will be in a healthier place to carry a pregnancy, and they will be able to ovulate on their own. Three of the most important things to consider when getting pregnant with PCOS um, or maintaining a pregnancy with PCOS is blood sugar, thyroid health, and progesterone levels. So first, I want to dive into blood sugar. Now, a common complication we see in women with PCOS is gestational diabetes. This typically will develop during the second half of the pregnancy. 
And during pregnancy, blood sugar is naturally going to rise. This will happen regardless of if you have insulin resistance or PCOS. But in healthy women, blood sugar can be three times higher than pre-pregnancy blood sugar. But in women with PCOS, we can see blood sugar increase sevenfold. And if you develop gestational diabetes during one pregnancy, you are actually more likely to develop it again for future pregnancies. This can be problematic to both the mom and the baby and often leads to the mother needing a C-section. In fact, a study of over 9,000 women found a 4% increase in C-section rates in women with PCOS compared to women without. So really the take-home message here is that one of the most important steps in having a healthy pregnancy with PCOS is going to be to stabilize your blood sugar, which ironically is also one of the most important steps when it comes to getting pregnant with PCOS. So you can see why it's important to start to put these steps into place before you get pregnant so you already have the habits on board to carry with you through pregnancy. I have an entire episode on this, so go back and take a listen specifically on blood sugar balance, but a few things to remember. First, skipping meals is not the answer. We want to avoid blood sugar highs just as much as blood sugar lows. Stable blood sugar is key, so having frequent, consistent meals throughout the day. Women who eat a balanced whole foods diet with good protein, healthy fats, and fiber are three times more likely to have a complication-free pregnancy. So food really does matter. I think oftentimes we're looking for, you know, what pill can I take? What's the quick fix? It really does come down to what are we eating? I realize this can be difficult, especially during the first trimester when nausea is at its worst. So eating smaller, more frequent meals every three to four hours can help combat that nausea. A lot of women find eating first thing in the morning can also help. So consider keeping either like a Lara bar or some other protein type bar, or maybe even like a jar of trail mix by your bed. So you can have something small to eat right when you wake up. Ginger tea and ginger chews are also helpful for reducing nausea. So especially during that first trimester, really important that you're not just giving in to the nausea and skipping meals, but you're continuing to eat smaller, more frequent meals to help with the nausea and help get good nutrients in. Something I'll also recommend to clients is making a really great smoothie with leafy greens, healthy fats, so like avocado or nut butter, throwing in some collagen powder or protein powder, and that way they can make it in the morning and kind of sip on it throughout the day, and they're getting a lot of really good nutrients in without feeling like they have to sit down and have a whole meal at once. I asked you guys to submit some questions on Instagram for this episode, and someone asked, why do I fail the first gestational diabetes test but pass the three-hour? So really, the first test is just a screening, and about 25% of patients will fail this, but there will be some false positives. So if you pass a three-hour test, that's really what we go off of. So I wouldn't really get too fixated on that first test as long as you're passing the three-hour test. Now, there are a lot of supplements I have my clients stop taking once they are pregnant, but ovocetol is one that we typically will continue. And if you have listened to any of my previous episodes about blood sugar, fertility, PCOS, you've heard me talk about ovocetol. But if you are new here, ovocetol is a B vitamin-like substance 
that really helps to improve blood sugar, improve egg quality, improve ovulation, even support thyroid health. I find it extremely helpful in regulating menstrual cycles with my patients. If they are already taking ovocetol when they get pregnant, I typically just have them continue during pregnancy to help maintain stable blood sugar levels. There are many more nutrients and herbs that can help with blood sugar, some that are safe in pregnancy and others whose safety is just unknown because you know nobody wants to experiment on a pregnant woman. Um, I cover this more in depth in the PCOS pregnancy protocol and go over what to stop and what to continue. So if you're interested in learning more, be sure to get on the wait list for the next group that will begin in March. And I've mentioned this before, but you know, I think metformin is extremely overprescribed for PCOS. And really the goal of metformin is to improve insulin and blood sugar levels. And we can do this through diet supplements and movement. That being said, metformin has been found to reduce the risk of developing gestational diabetes by about 7%. And you may think, wow, you know, that is great. And yes, it is something, you know, it's not nothing, but for a drug whose entire purpose is to improve blood sugar, I'm not super impressed by that number. And I think that we can have better results through choosing balanced meals, through moving our body, through walking as, you know, after meals, things like that. Now, if you are on metformin when you get pregnant and, you know, it's been working for you, great, keep on it. Um, But I wouldn't necessarily recommend going on metformin when you are already pregnant um, because it can cause some GI distress and you don't want to be experimenting with that when you're going through a pregnancy. So I try to keep any new medications or new supplements once you become pregnant to a minimum just because we don't necessarily know how your body is going to react. So even something like ovocetol, would I start a woman on it who hasn't been taking it, who is now pregnant? Probably not, but I would keep somebody on it who has previously been taking it. Fortunately, gestational diabetes is something your OB will test you for, so you really shouldn't have to advocate to find out if you have it. But it is important to know you can make a major difference in whether or not you develop gestational diabetes depending on how you balance your meals, how frequently you eat, and whether you're moving your body safely every day. Now, we know exercising can help with blood sugar, and I often get asked if it's okay to exercise when pregnant or if you should change up your exercise routine once you become pregnant. And in general, it is safe to continue to exercise during pregnancy. Now, of course, there are exceptions to that. If you have a high-risk pregnancy and your OB has advised you not to exercise, then you are going to want to listen to that. But for most people, it is going to be beneficial to continue to exercise. Now, if you currently don't exercise, do I recommend starting high-intensity training or marathon training? Absolutely no. Um, I honestly probably wouldn't recommend that ever regardless. Ideally, you should really continue with whatever form of movement you were previously doing. If you are, you know, finally pregnant after making changes to improve your PCOS, you likely at this point have incorporated exercises like walking, strength training, Pilates, and yoga, which are all considered safe to continue during pregnancy. It is recommended, of course, to avoid heated workouts like hot yoga. So if you are a hot yoga girl, you may be switching to just regular yoga. 
A mistake I've seen some women make is not exercising much. And then as they enter their last trimester, they, you know, want to jump into doing Pilates or yoga because they've heard it helps with labor and postpartum recovery. And it does help, but it's really most beneficial if practiced through the entire pregnancy, not just jumping in the last few weeks. And I would consider it unsafe if you are jumping into a new form of movement in your third trimester. So just something to consider if you're trying to get pregnant or maybe you're newly pregnant, um, you know, trying to stay active if you previously were active, um, especially with the nausea. I know it can be hard to work in. So sometimes you kind of just have to get through that first trimester. Um, but even short walks, five to 10 minute walks, you know, something is better than nothing. So next on our list is thyroid health. Somebody asked, how closely do I need to watch my thyroid? So first and foremost, if you are actively trying to conceive and haven't had your thyroid checked, I would definitely recommend doing so. So the primary test that your conventional doctor is going to order is something called a TSH, which stands for thyroid stimulating hormone. And ideally for fertility, this number TSH should be between one and two. Now, if you are upwards towards 2.5, that's okay as long as you're feeling great otherwise, meaning you have regular cycles, you have good energy, you're not seeing any hair loss, you have good digestion, and you're not struggling to get pregnant. Now, once you are pregnant, I recommend testing your TSH again around the six to eight week mark. Even if your thyroid has been okay in the past, our thyroid is very susceptible to stress and pregnancy is a major stress on the body. Even though it's a good stress, it's an exciting stress, it is still considered a stress. So don't assume just because you had your thyroid tested four months ago and it was good, you know, don't assume that it is good to go through the rest of pregnancy. It's important to continue to monitor it. The thyroid makes hormones responsible for supporting the growth and development of the baby. So it really is so important during pregnancy. Now, if you test your TSH during pregnancy and it's higher than 2.5, you'll want to ask your doctor about retesting about four to six weeks later. And if it continues to be high, then having a discussion around whether or not you should be taking a low dose thyroid medication or at least the very, you know, at the very least retesting your thyroid to make sure it's not continuing to rise is going to be important. Over the past decade, we've come to learn that women who have low thyroid function during pregnancy who are not on medication have a higher likelihood of having a baby born with Down syndrome. And this is really very preventable if the woman knows her thyroid status during pregnancy and can help support it and keep it within range. Now, it is kind of counterintuitive because you may be thinking, wait, the higher the TSH, then the better, the better, right? Higher is better, higher TSH, better functioning thyroid, but it's actually the opposite. So TSH is a hormone that our brain makes to tell our thyroid how much hormone to make. So imagine our hormone, our thyroid is struggling to make hormones, right? Our thyroid is asleep. And our brain is making TSH to try to wake up the thyroid and say, hey, it's time to make some hormones. Like we're kind of slowing down here. What's going on? Your thyroid is struggling to wake up and make those hormones. So what does your brain do? Your brain makes more TSH as a way to yell at your thyroid, wake up. We got to get the show going. We got to start making more hormones. 
So the higher your TSH, that means your, your thyroid is a lower functioning. Now, sadly, this is not always something that your OB is going to think to check and is really important that you are asking about. Low thyroid function is also correlated with increased rates of miscarriage, which is why I recommend testing during the first trimester. Also, just knowing your thyroid status before you become pregnant. Now, third on the list and possibly the most important is monitoring your progesterone levels. I think there is a lot of confusion around progesterone. Progesterone does not make you ovulate. You can be taking progesterone, but if you are not ovulating, you are not going to get pregnant. So let me kind of explain this. So right before we ovulate, an egg is developing in the ovary and it is surrounded by a sack of tissue. When we ovulate, that egg is released and the sack of tissue that is left behind starts making progesterone. And it typically does this for about two weeks. If the egg is not fertilized by sperm and it doesn't attach to the wall of the uterus, our body will say, okay, we're not pregnant. And as a result, progesterone levels will drop. And this drop in hormones causes the lining of our uterus to break down and we get our period. Some people have what's known as luteal phase defect, which is when you ovulate, but you don't make enough progesterone. And a sign you may have this is if you have short menstrual cycles, meaning you get your period more than every 21 days. So if you're struggling to get pregnant and you have short cycles, taking progesterone can help lengthen your cycle and may be the key to getting pregnant. Now, when we do get pregnant, our body continues to make progesterone until about week 10 when the placenta has developed enough and it can take over making progesterone. Now, remember, if progesterone levels drop, the lining of the uterus breaks down. And this is a problem because this is what the embryo attaches to. It creates a home in this lining. And if we lose the lining, we lose the pregnancy. Women with PCOS often have low progesterone levels because they historically have not been ovulating regularly. Their body will struggle to make progesterone and they will struggle to make progesterone during that first trimester when it's especially important because the, the woman's ovaries are responsible for it versus the placenta. And if progesterone drops too low, a woman may miscarry. And sometimes you may even miscarry so early on in pregnancy that you don't even realize you were pregnant. This is extremely preventable, and really, if you're listening and you've had even one miscarriage with or without PCOS, you need to be advocating for yourself and asking your doctor to test your progesterone before you get pregnant again and during your first trimester. The best time to test progesterone is either day 21. If you have a 28-day cycle and you're pretty regular, then day 21 is going to be kind of like a safe bet. Or if you know when you ovulate, you want to test your progesterone about six days later. And it is insane how many women I've worked with who struggle with fertility, who have multiple miscarriages, who have never had their progesterone levels checked, or who have had it checked the wrong day. I'll have women come to me and they've had their progesterone checked on, you know, day seven with a bunch of other hormones that shouldn't have been tested on day seven. And I'm like, what was the purpose of this? Like, was there any thought put behind 
when these labs are being done or what these labs mean. It seems like it should be so straightforward and it's just not happening. And if I haven't said it enough, you need to advocate for yourself. You need to be asking your doctor these questions. And really, if you are thinking about getting pregnant or actively trying to conceive, having the conversation with your doctor now will benefit you. Find out if they're willing to test your progesterone once you become pregnant, because if they roll their eyes at you and say, oh, it's not necessary, run in the other direction. Like it may sound like I'm being dramatic, but why would you risk working with somebody who is not willing to do basic things like test a hormone that is literally nicknamed the pregnancy hormone? Do not put yourself in the position of not having the healthcare you need when you do finally get that positive pregnancy test. It's like, it's, it's been wild. Like the longer I specialize in this and the more stories I hear from women, I'm just like, what is going on in the world? It's, it's, it's crazy. Um, anyway, so if your progesterone is low, there are ways to raise your levels naturally, which I won't get into on this podcast. That'll be a separate episode. I honestly may have done an episode on this topic in the past. I can't remember right now. But if your progesterone is low during your first trimester, this is not the time to try to raise it with food and supplements. You really should be taking a prescription progesterone, which is a medication that you can either take orally or it can be like a vaginal cream that you apply. Really, doctors have different preferences on what works best and you might have a personal preference. As far as where you want your progesterone levels to be, it does vary depending on how many weeks pregnant you are. But in the first trimester, I want to see at least over 18. Okay, so those are the three most important things to consider when pregnant with PCOS. We've got maintaining good balanced blood sugar, testing your thyroid and making sure TSH is between one and two, maybe upwards of 2.5, and testing progesterone levels ideally before pregnancy and during the first trimester. I also want to talk a little bit about pelvic physical therapy Now, I have a whole episode about pelvic PT. My good friend, Dr. Katie Simmons, joined me back on episode 25, so go give that a listen if you haven't. But pelvic PT is essentially physical therapy for the pelvic floor. And if you've never heard of the pelvic floor, it's a group of muscles that essentially create like a bowl or a sling shape in the pelvis to hold in our organs. You may have been told to do Kegels in the past. I'm sure you've read about it at some point to strengthen your pelvic floor, but really this is not great advice because this is assuming that everyone's pelvic floor and every muscle involved with the pelvic floor is weak. And sometimes there are muscles that are weak, but others are too tense. When we have various imbalances in these muscles, it can impact how we feel in pregnancy our labor experience, and postpartum recovery. And I really believe that pelvic PT should be a required step in prenatal and postpartum care, but we are not there yet in healthcare. Maybe someday we will be at this rate, probably not. Um, But I recommend every pregnant woman see a pelvic PT by the end of the first trimester. This way, if there are any imbalances, you can work to address them before you give birth. What you don't want to do is wait until you're eight months pregnant to start trying to relax and release your pelvic floor. That just won't be enough time to see progress before you give birth. 
And it's important that you aren't just seeing a PT who is like, yeah, I do pelvic work on the side. No, you want to find a PT who only does pelvic floor, who is like, I live, eat, breathe pelvic floor. This is my specialty. It's what I do all day. That's who you want to be seeing. Your PT can also even coach you on how to breathe properly and discuss what positions would be safest for you to labor in, depending on the structure of your pelvic floor and your tailbone. This was wild to me. So I had referred one of my clients to Dr. Katie, who learned that laboring on her back, which is pretty standard in the hospital setting, was not the best position for her because of how her tailbone was angled. I can't remember if she had, you know, fallen snowboarding or skiing or had some sort of accident where her tailbone was more bent. Um, But she learned that that actually was not the best position because then the baby would be kind of sitting down on the tailbone as the baby came out. There's really so much more to be said about pelvic PT. So go back to episode 25 if you'd like to learn more about this. The last few questions you guys sent in were having to do um, with high testosterone levels in pregnancy and how to naturally keep levels low. So number one is going to be thinking about why is testosterone high? For a lot of women with PCOS, it is going to come back to blood sugar. So keeping blood sugar stable in pregnancy is going to help prevent testosterone levels from rising even more. For other women, it may be related to our adrenal glands, which are our stress glands. So in this case, prioritizing getting enough sleep and reducing caffeine, prioritizing low-impact exercise and stress management is really going to be very important. Obviously, if you have struggled to get pregnant with PCOS and then you finally get that positive test, you know, it's exciting, but there is another level of stress to it. You know, the stress is, you know, let's get through this healthy pregnancy. So making sure that you have the support you need, whether that's therapy, whether that's, you know, turning to your friends or your partner for support, but that's going to be a big piece in helping to regulate our stress response and testosterone levels. Unfortunately, a lot of the traditional herbs we think of for lowering testosterone, like spearmint tea, salt palmetto, and nettles, have not been studied enough to determine whether they are safe in pregnancy or not. So I advise against taking them. I always err on the side of extreme caution. And there are only a select few herbs that I will use in pregnancy during specific trimesters. Otherwise, when it comes to herbal medicine, I usually stop 99% of them with my clients. And because of this, it really is going to come down to the foundational things like diet and lifestyle practices to keep hormones in balance. High testosterone can also increase your risk of developing gestational hypertension, which is high blood pressure. So this is something you will want to monitor with your doctor. Now, if you are not yet pregnant and you're listening to this episode thinking, I hope someday this applies to me, go back and listen to episode 18, where I discuss what to know before trying to conceive and episode 45, which is three steps to getting pregnant with PCOS. I am currently halfway through the PCOS pregnancy protocol with my January group, but enrollment will be opening in a few weeks for my March group. So be sure to get on the wait list if you are tired of trying to navigate your PCOS fertility journey on your own and you are looking for more support around that. That is all I have for you today. Thank you so much for listening. And if you find the information I share here helpful, please, please, please rate and review so other women can more easily find the podcast and get their questions answered as well. I hope you have a great week and I will see you next Tuesday. Welcome to the Heal Your Hormones podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Danielle. 
If you are returning, welcome back. If you are new here, I am a naturopathic doctor specializing in all things PCOS, women's hormones, and fertility. And it is really my mission to help women, help you understand your body, why you feel the way you do, and what you can do to take control of your health and really feel your absolute best. So I work with clients one-on-one virtually, as well as in my six-week program, the PCOS Pregnancy Protocol, where I help women heal the root cause of PCOS so they can have regular periods and get pregnant naturally. If you're interested in learning more, you can visit drdaniellederoche.com, which is also linked in the show notes below this episode, or follow me on Instagram and TikTok at drdaniellepeoriodnd, where I share a ton more information about daily changes you can be making to improve your hormonal health and improve your fertility. All right, now let's get to the episode. <laughs> 